I would like, if I lay, to make two on a strange circuit. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It is March 15th, and I am being joined today by one, <laughs> one, the one and only, which is Zaftig. How are you, my dear? I'm quite well. How are you? Super duper duper. I had an extra duper because that's how good I am. Had an amazing weekend so far. And we do have an amazing show for you listeners. Uh, we're going to start off with the Nine Cents letters. Again, you amazing listeners have not failed to entertain us <laughs> and provide content for the show in uh, in the same. So this is actually a really good question compared to last week's question, which I didn't think was so good. It was a little goofy and a little um, not quite on point. Uh, of course, Witch Zaftig is here. We're going to do a little unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig. What are we calling this one? This uh, segment, we're going to talk about what is Western esotericism, that particular phrase, and uh, I'm going to answer it in the way that scholars study it. Nice. Well, to balance the super intelligent, worthwhile content, I'm going to throw in a bizarre the bizarre at the very end of it. Just add the most disgusting and filthy and strange. This is a segment that, I mean, I've almost eliminated from the circulation of the show. I'm going to bring it back, and it's coming back in a nasty, disgusting way. So if you don't want to hear it, then you're going, as soon as Unorthodox with Witch Zaftig is over, just fast forward 10 minutes, because we're going to close the show out with uh, Old Nick's Peep Show, and you're going to want to tune in for that. Uh, okay, so before we start the show, a couple notes. I was, I start the show every single week with Welcome to Nine Cents. It's a satanic perspective on the modern world. And I didn't, and if you go to like the website, for example, ninecentspodcast.com, it opens with a headline of Defining the Greater Satanic Conversation. Now, I may go into more detail about Defining the great Greater Satanic Conversation um, in different venues, but right now, I just want to make sure that everyone understands uh, the difference between Nine Cents' positioning statement versus our vision statement. So ultimately, what Nine Cents is trying to do, what what we collectively, the segment hosts and myself, are trying to bring, is uh, the definition of what the greater satanic conversation is. Um, really, what Nine Cents in and of itself is, what differentiates it from other podcasts, for example, is that it's a satanic perspective of our modern world. And... You know, no one's ever mentioned that this is a confusing idea, uh, the difference between, you know, presenting those two ideas. But, you know, in magazine ads, for example, I always use defining the greater satanic conversation. And in the openings, I always say a satanic perspective of our modern world. They work in harmony together. One's a positioning statement. The other is a vision statement. And I think it's important that everyone understands that. You know, I'm in advertising. I'm a graphic designer by trade. But I take... I take this idea seriously, nine cents, and it's it's something that I apply what I um, 
when I apply to other businesses I work with professionally, I apply to this podcast as well. And that's what I think has helped it maintain its momentum and gain the authority that it has right now with all of the really wonderful contributors. It's because it's taken seriously, even though we do joke around, we do laugh a lot, and we do make fun of a lot of goofy things, there is a core of substance, that a vein of gold <laughs> that is the substance that runs through every single one of these episodes. And uh, I think it's important that you understand that it's reflected in uh, our presentation online and offline in the real world. Um, and then, of course, if you are in the know, you know, you may learn a little bit more about this tenant greater satanic conversation in some other place and time. Um, I've gotten a couple people noting that the Stitcher link hasn't been updated since December. I want you to understand that if you're hearing this and you're still experiencing that, uh, well, you probably found another way to tune in. But the Stitcher link is actually alive. I just resubmitted it through a different RSS feed so that I could track the uh, interaction with Nine Cents a little bit better. So all you have to do is go to the website, ninecentspodcast.com, click on the subscribe button. It's the right up there in the navigation. And the accurate link is right there. We have been, you know, putting out episodes every single week. So if you've missed since December, you got a lot of catching up to do, people. Uh, but again, we are available uh, Stitcher, YouTube, uh, iTunes, uh, you know, pretty much anywhere, Last FM, I mean, of all obscure places. If, if there's somewhere you want to connect with Nine Cents, we are there. And you can always, again, reach out to us on social media or via email to get any more information. And uh, one last closing note, uh, promotion-wise, if you ever want to support this show, if you appreciate what we do, Asp Apparel has created nine wonderful products with the nine cents logo and you can get them either at aspapparel.com or you can go to our website and under the apparel tab uh check out all of that it is available and uh you know that's one way that you can help support the show and i always love seeing those of you who do pick up these products sending me a, a photo of it it's uh it's entertaining it's fun it's nice i appreciate it Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. Okay, in this Nine Cents Letters, we're going to be touching back on the 11th Satanic Law. <laughs> so it's the 11 rules of the earth. Um, and this one in particular is speaking to when walking in open territory, bother no one. If someone bothers you, ask them to stop. If they do not stop, destroy them. Um, I spoke to this, and it's referenced in this letter from 28 July, uh, XLVIIIAS, I believe that was last year, um, and, uh, or maybe the year before, I don't, <laughs> I don't even know these damn Roman numerals that well, um, but the approach that we took, and I believe I was speaking with Jesse at the time from I Dream of Jesse, um, I could be wrong, where we took an approach of maybe it's not them bothering you, it's you uh, presenting yourself in a, a poor way that, that attracts this uh, negativity or, or interaction, unwanted interaction. Uh, I'm, I'm, I think that's where it was. Anyway, this individual sent this uh, letter to us addressing another scenario that they wondered if it would be considered going against the 11th satanic rule. 
So, uh, or this particular rule in the 11 satanic rules of the earth. So here's the, the essence of the question distilled down here. What if you're in public with your family at a park, enjoying the sun and having a good time, when you see two of the other parents get into an argument and the man starts to knock around and hit the woman? This could be vice versa. There are children around and none of the other adults are doing anything. Your children are looking on and worried. Considering the violence displayed and the audience, would you insert yourself in an attempt to stop it? What would you do? And if you did insert yourself, wouldn't this go against the 11th law of not bothering anyone? Good question. Uh, he gave us his own answer. We're going to give him and you ours. So uh, with Zaftig, what do you think? Um, well, I really think it depends uh, if, you're, if you're asking me personally. I think it depends yeah. on who you are. So me as a female in a park uh, probably wouldn't confront this guy. Uh, personally, but I, I would absolutely try to get uh, authorities involved. Uh, I may, depending on the distance I was at <laughs> from him, yell at him to stop, or even just try to usher his own children away, uh, if you know, like, and the wife, if I could. But uh, ultimately, I don't. Uh, but besides all that, like, I think I would try to help in whatever way that uh, wouldn't put me in physical danger, but at least try to help. Um, uh, but I'm not understanding this particular rule of earth as you never uh, interfere in anything that happens. Because uh, to me, that's not quite what this law applies to. <laughs> uh, this is more the, the notion of, uh, of not, if you're uh, understanding it as, as any action you do out in the world as an imposition, then you can't act at all. <laughs> uh, but I do think that if you're looking at the, the satanic rules of earth as a whole, it also means that, um, you know, you don't harm little children. And it also means that by mere act of actually this particular incident happening in a public park, this person is bothering you. They are impeding on your nice day. They're certainly impeding on the physical uh, welfare of uh, his own wife and children. So at that point... He's already broken this rule, so that it, it no longer applies. Your action to ignore it, I think, actually would be a little bit uh, negligent. Again, as a female, I'm not going to try to um, stop him myself, <laughs> unless uh, I really thought I could take him. So it depends on his size. <laughs> I'm not a small woman, so. Uh, but even then, uh, it would still be something I would do um, carefully. But I certainly would uh, alert the authorities, use my cell, uh, try to get the kids away uh, as quickly and uh, as fast as possible. It is strange. I, you know, you get these anecdotal um, uh, situations that are brought up. And, like, I run into this where it's my neighbor doing, you know, acting out and screaming and, mm -hmm. and fighting and stuff like that. But, like, in a park, I mean... The, they really have to be, like, the day must have turned yeah. really badly for him to be physically abusing. Usually, abusers don't do it in public. Usually, no, they do it <laughs> behind closed doors because they know that they're not supposed to do it. Yeah. And they know they can only get away. Um, in front of witnesses where it would be clear assault. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then they would actually do jail time. Um, so, on its face, in my opinion, it's a little bit absurd. So, you know, if this actually did happen in public, it's probably not from a habitual abuser. It's probably like she broke up with them or he, you know, is 
cheating on her and she found out. You know, it, it's something greater than just an abuser abusing in the open. Um, right. it, so emotions have to be like insanely high. One thing we always have to keep in mind that if you're in a relationship, an abusive relationship, uh, and I know not a lot of people are going to hear like hearing this, uh, as bad as it is, there's a reason why they're staying in it. It's because they are deficient. They are emotionally deficient and they attract abusers. Whether it's the man or woman, it's a cycle that they've been born into. Whether it was their parents that they witnessed or they were um, uh, grandparents, someone abused them. And so in their adult life, they attract other abusers and they don't like it most of the time. And they actually really wish they could get out of it. But given the opportunity, the majority of abusers don't get out of it because they're afraid because it's this habitual life cycle that they haven't been able to work through. And I, I think it's a horrible thing and I don't think it's right, but... We have to keep in mind that if you interfere in a situation like that, you are now going to be the bad guy. You are not the good guy rescuing an abused person. They will turn on you and they will defend the abuser. And it doesn't make sense, but it happens. Like, it just, it fucking happens. So it's that, like that. That might the happen. And I, I, don't, I don't entirely disagree, but I think so what? Mm -hmm. So to me, the notion is... Look, in public, if you see someone physically assault someone, in the, whether they're in, an, in a relationship or not, uh, then the, you have actually witnessed a crime. And I look at it like that. Uh, I am unconcerned whether or not that person um, has a habitual use you know, of, of uh, going back to their abuser, because to me, that's not an excuse enough not to intervene. Mm -hmm. So, like, so I, what? I wasn't bringing that up to... Uh, reinforce inaction. Right. So I was just Good. bringing it up, you know, so that because you need to, you need to keep in mind that it's not just the guy that you're going to be dealing with at that point. Yeah. You no, now are going to be dealing with a couple who are already riled up, who are already in the fighting zone. So just keep that in mind. Here's the other thing that I don't, I don't particularly agree with, though I've done it myself. At what point do you think that you're going to be able to... Are you just trying to stop this for this moment? Are you, Like, do they need you to be their savior? I mean, I've, I've barked out against people who are... Um, like, I've told this story on the podcast before. I was at a, um, a parade. My son was with me, and behind us was this mom smoking a cigarette, and her little toddler was walking around her underneath, and this guy walked by, this Mormon guy, or some insane Christian religion guy, and he's like, you can't... I say that because later on it became relevant in the argument, but he just came up and he said, you can't be smoking. You're, you're killing everyone around you. You need to stop smoking. And she's like, fuck off, leave me alone. And he just kept pestering her and, like, smacked the cigarette out of her hand and, and said that wow. if she lit up again he would come back and hit her again and then you know I start yelling out you know stop fucking arguing with her she has a fucking right whether you like it or not and then her dad came in and sort of just stepped to the yeah. dude but and so it, it is a situation where I didn't run up and I like physically put myself between them but I was barking from the sidelines I, I didn't feel like it was my role to like accost the dude because the reality is, is uh, if you hit someone, you can go to jail. It sounds shitty, but yes, especially yeah. if they're, you know, self-righteous like that in a heartbeat, they would, of course, say, you know, I was the innocent. I was the one trying yeah. to protect everyone else. He attacked me. Um, and so rather than doing that, I just yelled from the sidelines like a pussy. <laughs> 
So if I was in a park and I saw a man abusing, and here's something, here's something I I've actually not thought about this um, before this moment. When I, w- I was uh, in junior high uh, dating this wonderful little lady and we were in a park and we, what we used to do is just go run around this park and do a little bit of exercising and then just lay down goofing off, staring at the, the clouds and stuff. Sure. Yeah. I was that boring. Um, but that's what, you know, that's, I don't know. We had nothing to do. So we would do that. And there was one time I, uh, we were thinking about doing this little social experiment about, um, a man hitting his girlfriend. And so we played like I was like yelling at her and, you know, I got a stick and I was hitting the ground and we would see how many people who were also running around this park would stop and actually intervene. And every single person did like every person, they all stopped. Like, are you okay? Asking her, are you okay? Is he, you know, is he hurting you? Even though, you know, they heard me yelling at her and they heard the sound of a stick hitting the grass. They knew something was up. And rather than uh, confronting me about it, they confronted her about it. I thought that was an interesting approach because then you're almost putting in a position of instead of attacking the aggressor, I'm going to throw him off by seeing if the woman is okay with being beat. <laughs> like, it's just a weird, I didn't, I didn't fully understand it. I just thought it was really interesting. Um, but there could have been part of them that, that wondered just how much was sort of play acting or something, mm-hmm. you know, like if they, if they don't sure. see your fist connect with her face, like it could have been part of like, I'm not sure what's happening here. I'm going to ask the woman <laughs> yeah, yeah. as opposed to the guy with the stick. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be like, no, everything's great. Move yeah, along. Exactly. <laughs> Keep running. Yeah, um, fine. <laughs> but you brought up a really good point about this because so we've, we've spoken to the complexities of uh, abusive relationship briefly. What about that complexity of the 11 satanic rules of the earth? This one in particular, bother no one while you're in the open mind your own business if someone bothers you tell them to stop if not your your point of they are impeding on your personal sense of peace about the day is spot on that statement does not say do nothing just like you mentioned uh, do not interact with the world you must keep yourself to yourself it just says if you're being bugged Tell people to fucking stop bugging you. That's really all it is. And not to, for no reason, walk up on someone and start bothering them. The reality is, is an abusive, if you're witnessing an abusive relationship or an abusive encounter, I I would argue, this is rough. One, you have to have a sense of concern for other people's health and welfare. There's nothing inherent in Satanism that says that you must care about anyone other than yourself. But if you're the type of person that does not want to witness this type of behavior, maybe you're concerned about how it is going to you know, be imprinted on your children who are also witnessing it, then it is incumbent upon you to have that sense of, of purpose of care about how your children interact with the world around them and how the world then interacts with them, you need to have that intestinal fortitude to either get the fuck out of the area or to walk up to the woman and say, are you okay? Is this, you know, I don't want my kids witnessing this, whatever you guys are doing. Right. You guys need to stop. So, even if you know, there's the- no children, because like, so I don't have kids. And if I witnessed that, I probably would 
uh, try to think of what the best scenario would be. And even if that meant uh, run and get another large man, <laughs> mm-hmm. say, hey, dude, stranger, <laughs> something's happening over there. You know, can you just come in and help? I view it like this. Even though um, it's true, it does often take uh, women who, well, and men who are in abusive relationships uh, a long time to get out. Like it's, you know, uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's not the first time, <laughs> often. But even if that's true, I always look at it like the world doesn't have to remind them that nobody cares. So I always view it like, well, here's this small incident where I'm going to remind her uh, that there are options out there because it's easy to forget when you're in that particular situation where you really don't feel like there's any way out of this hold that this person has on you. So, and I have actually, I'm sure there's a lot of people that may have learned the lesson of uh, some people that kind of like the attention. It's true um, that uh, calling you up in the middle of the night, their boyfriends, whatever, and when you go to help, they turn on you. It's, it certainly happened to me when I was younger. And who knows what drama, and you sort of learn to step aside. But even then, I sort of learned to make it clear. If you really want my help, I'll help you. Do not involve me in your drama. <laughs> like, if you really want my help, and you show up at my door in the middle of the night, <laughs> and you want me to get you to a safe place, I will do it. But don't do it just because you want the attention. All right. (sighs) I think it's also a mistake, though, to assume that every person who's in that situation is seeking the attention. To me, that's a bit of a a slippery slope. Uh, There's shitty people everywhere, (laughs) like everywhere. But uh, until I see evidence that that's what's happening, I'm going to still err on the side of caution and make sure that this particular person knows that uh, there are other avenues. Uh, and, you know, I, I tend to think that no matter what, I tend to think it was me. So if I'm there mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, somebody's, you know, uh, physically accosting me and I think it would be uh, a shame if everybody who walked by assumed that, well, if I'm in some sort of abusive relationship, clearly it's because I can't leave and I can't be helped. So to me, that would be the biggest injustice <laughs> of all um, to sort of, uh, assume that just because I'm that there that I want to be there. So right. um, I'm, I'm more optimistic, <laughs> keeping in mind that, that some people are manipulative. Sure. Okay. But until you have evidence, otherwise uh, act like this person needs help. Yeah. I mean, it is, <clears throat> it is a really good point. I, I come from, uh, you know, my, my real father uh, physically abused my mom. And so I, I come from that place. So if I did see uh, a man attacking a woman, I wouldn't think about it. I would go in and I would stop it. If they're arguing, you know, if if they're sort of like shoving or bumping each other, I don't think that's the same as raising a hand to them, like, you know, flat out bitch slapping or punching someone. Um, There is a place though where, you know, we're, I think when we think of situations like this, we think of a a man abusing a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, I was <laughs> I was very much raised uh, in the vein of if a woman is going to hit you like a man, then you can hit a woman back. Um, <laughs> so I, I know some people may see that as uh, excuse to hit a girl, but I genuinely think that if you're going to fucking hit me for no fucking reason, then I'm going to fucking hit you back, and I don't care whether you have boobs or not. It's going to happen. Like, I've always been raised that way. Um and I have to clarify, uh, my father, who abused my mother, 
he was out of my life by the age of like four. So he's not the one that taught me that. Right. Because okay. that would be fucked up. <laughs> Son, it's okay to beat women. Yeah. Um, not the case. No, and anyone that attacks you, you have a right to defend yourself. And we can't pretend that because stereotypically it's men always attacking women, that women aren't abusive. Women are very much capable of being as abusive as men, if not physically, then uh, emotionally, but it, it is entirely possible. And so you have to look at it on that side as well. Um, it's not just a one-sided thing. It's not just a man thing. Women are quite capable of being just as fucked I, up as I, dudes. I agree to a point, but here's here's where I uh, I divert from that just a little bit. Uh-huh. It only applies if they're of equal strength, and um, just genetically, or he's less. yeah, just in that, yeah, or he's less of lesser strength. Then uh, absolutely, but genetically, uh, I don't know what the percentage is, but the overwhelming majority of men are stronger than women. Mm-hmm. So uh, in that dynamic, I think. As the stronger person, the person who's uh, being hit, let's just say the man is being hit by a woman, um, he has the option to hold her arms, grab it, or <laughs> grab his keys and get the right, fuck out the right. door and not go back. Uh, in the same way of emotional abuse, you have that option to hang up that phone. I've certainly been in relationships in my past where that I would now classify as more emotionally, uh, if not abusive, it's certainly certainly not the healthiest <laughs> way to interact <laughs> with someone. Right. Um, uh, and in ways that now I would never tolerate. And if I even saw mm. a hint of it, I would, I would nip that in the bud right away. This shit is not acceptable in any capacity. Yeah. So uh, to me, it's, if we're framing it in the same way, that female likely does not have the ability to kill that man. When a female is being hit by an abuser, he has the ability to end her life. He may not do it right then, but you know most women who are murdered are murdered by an ex-boyfriend or a spouse. Mm. And so, to me, there's a bit of a difference, a balance of physical, sheer physical strength. As much as even women don't like to admit that just genetically men are stronger, they absolutely are. So in that case, it's different. If she's super strong and um, and he's a smaller man and his uh, life is at risk, absolutely hit, fight back. You're you're in danger. Uh, but it's not exactly the same. I'm not saying men should tolerate it, and I'm not saying that women don't abuse. Certain a lot of um, women who would be abusers in that way physically would take advantage of the fact that society doesn't think it's possible. Mm-hmm. Because they're just as controlling <laughs> as what a man would be. So they're taking advantage of the fact that the guy might not be believed, that he would be looked at as a wimp, and they're uh, totally manipulating this person for control by hitting them and ensuring that they would be viewed as a lesser a lesser man. You know, men men and their notion of masculinity is a delicate thing, I have learned in my Ooh, lifetime. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh if they're using that against them, it's just as powerful as hitting them. Um, so yeah. certainly, I think it's uh, I think it's possible. I'm just saying that the dynamics are a bit different, and we should recognize that in this discussion. Yeah, it, it's also important to note that we're talking about uh, the mind of abusers. That's not a clear, rational place. That, no. That's not. You don't just go from having coffee to hitting someone in the face because the coffee was slightly too hot, <laughs> unless you are emotionally unbalanced. So these aren't yeah. people who think clearly. So obviously, it is not 
the majority of any sexual uh, human being, um, man or woman. It, it's a very small minority of people that are like this, probably because they were abused themselves or there's some other deficiency within their minds that's causing this behavior. Um, yeah, so have that, you never felt the urge? I mean, look, I've, I've never hit a, a man I've been involved with, like never. But like, I've totally like wanted to. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. like in a... In but again, moment, your clear like, head has prevailed. My, I don't know if it's clear head or just the notion that knowing that most of the men that um, I've ever been involved with would, uh, no, they probably wouldn't hit me back, but um, it would end right there. Like it wouldn't matter <laughs> what would be salvageable. There is yeah. no way that any man I'd been involved with would have tolerated that on any level in any way. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd, it would be the relationship ender, uh, even I even even if I threw something, even if I wanted to. But I grew grew up in a house of uh, plate throwers, so we. <laughs> so oh. if you're angry. Um, <laughs> that's one of the ways you express this is it. Never, never any matching uh, dishes <laughs> in my in my childhood home. <laughs> Um, because if you, we didn't quite hit each other, but if we were angry enough, we could like throw something against the wall. And I find it interesting that even though I'm not a particular angry person most of the time, when the buttons are pushed, that rage that I, that Miss Hulk comes out and I, mm. in my mind, sometimes look around the room for something to pick up and throw. I don't do it. I have never done it. But I understand that <laughs> impulse in a way that's so primal oh, that I think is fascinating and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I, I come from a long line of emotional reactors myself. I mean, I, you heard about my, my mom being abused by my father. My mom was an emotional nightmare as well. So, I mean, I, I was put into a hospital because of anger management issues because I almost killed my brother. So mm -hmm. I understand as as juveniles not being able to handle your emotions but the older you get if you are a healthy person you have that conscious will of saying i'm just going to walk away just like you were mentioning earlier yeah. um so whenever we're talking about abusers and stuff we can't think of the majority of people because the majority of people don't of course we we're emotional human beings we we want to smack people around all the time, <laughs> all, the time. all the time over ridiculous things, but we don't do it for one reason or another. Um, yeah. And so I think it's, I think it's a very interesting discussion to have both in the context of what are the dynamics that you're walking into and making sure that you're aware of them. This is lesser magic 101. You have to understand the, the situation that you're walking into in any given moment in life in order to effectively adjust that situation through lesser magic. You have to be able to set up your dynamic in order to make your will be done through your, um, uh, through your own wiles, as it were. And it, this would be one example of, of being able to do that as long as you had a little bit of understanding. Um, Again, because we're emotional creatures, not many people are going to just sit by and watch that. It's just not something that you're going to w willingly do. And especially if you have someone uh, like a child or a, a significant other, maybe it's a nephew or a niece, you're not going to want them to think that that's okay behavior. And so that's going to spur you into action more, I would argue, than just you standing there alone. Um, like, oh, shit. But let's also talk about, you know, we're talking about these physical interactions and stuff, um, wanting to hit people, emotionally uh, interacting with your environment instead of rationally interacting with your environment. Satanism provides perfect outlets for this type of 
thoughts. Um, if you do want to suddenly smack your boyfriend or girlfriend or lover or friend or boss or whatever it is, you don't have to do that. You can not hit them and then take it to the ritual chamber. You have avenues of, of, of relieving pent-up aggression and anxiety through greater magic. You can, you can, as if you did murder them. And that's why you always have to keep in mind each of these, uh, either rules of the earth or satanic statements or satanic sins, they all play off of each other. So we have to keep in mind responsibility of the responsible. Is it responsible to watch someone be abused? Objectively, I think the answer is no. It is not responsible just to stand by while someone, for no fucking reason that you can understand, I mean, there really is no explanation, no justifiable reason for it anyway. Um, you just don't go through life hitting people. That's not the way you do it as an adult. So you must stop it. Um, if you feel like you want to hit other people, if you want to hit your wife because the coffee's a little bit too hot, well, you, you need to get maybe a little bit of therapy, but then you can also take it to the ritual chamber and do it there <laughs> do instead. It, yeah. <laughs> instead of physically attacking another human being. It's, I just I want mean, to clarify you're... that I never wanted to throw a plate at anyone over coffee. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was usually a big deal what was happening in that dynamic with that particular yeah. person. Like, uh, there was some serious hurt feelings being examined. <laughs> I'm not saying it justifies yeah. it. I'm just saying the impulse was not trivial. <laughs> I want to clarify. I, I, yeah, no, own, I, I definitely uh, understand that. my own rage. <laughs> I see, and I'm imagining, like, a juggler's paradise of just shit being thrown, like, <laughs> everywhere. I can't believe! Yeah. Ceramic <laughs> rage. Which yeah. Zaftig and her throwing plate bonanza. <laughs> um, if I think if you're taking the understanding of this particular satanic rule of the earth in that you should not interact with the world around you, then you're you're misreading it. I think that is probably the greatest takeaway um, from this discussion. We are human beings. We are an active part of our environment. We have lesser magic so that you can manipulate your environment. We have greater magic so that you can not only manipulate your environment, but you can help manipulate your own mind in situations where you need it. We, as Satanists, must interact with our environments. That is what we are here for as human beings. It is not to just isolate ourselves and live in a tiny little room. There's nothing satanic about that. It is about manipulating and owning your environment, about making a mark on the world, about living in the world. And that is not staying in a dark room. That is interacting with the world, being a productive member of society. How you do that is up to you. But just to look at this rule and say, well, I can't, I can't talk to anyone. I can't interact with anyone. I can't do anything. That's absurd. And, and that is not the correct reading of, of it, in my personal opinion. And certainly, I'm, I'm assuming, in, in with Zaftig's as well. Agreed. Is there anything you think you want to touch on on this one? No, I think you're good. Um, <laughs> we've expressed enough of our rage, so I'm gonna. Yeah. We can yeah. take a pause. I'm gonna go throw a coffee cup. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs>
everyone, I'm a den or a den. If you ever get cold, you can stand in the corner of a room. They're generally 90 degrees. Or you can listen to my segment, Militant Eroticism, at the end of every month on Nine Cents Podcast. I'll either piss you off or get your pelvis grooving. Either way, you'll be warm. Fascination is a binding which comes from the spirit of the witch through the eyes of him that is bewitched, entering to fascination is a binding. Now the instrument of fascination is the spirit, namely a certain pure, lucid, subtle generated of the pure blood by the heat of the heart. Welcome to this month's segment of Unorthodoxy with Witch Saptic. I'm Witch Saptic, and this week uh, we're going to address the whole question of what is Western esotericism. So there's this kind of bizarre phrase, uh, but I'm going to talk about it in terms of how do scholars study it. And the reason it's important to discuss how scholars look at what Western esotericism is, is because scholars actually created the category. Uh, it's kind of interesting that way. So um, if you look at the esoteric, quote unquote, the esoteric can include anything from alchemy, magic, astronomy, tarot, Ouija, astrology, uh, new age, crystal, healing, <laughs> homeopathy even, and uh, sometimes naturopathy, um, and then sort of witchcraft and magic and a plethora of other types of things. So why do all these kind of sometimes relatable but sometimes not um, ideas and practices and philosophies get lumped in as esoteric? Well, um, I have two recently read uh, two very good books that were essentially uh, introductions to Western esotericism. One was by Wouter J. Hanegraaff and the other one is Kuku van Stukrad, and I will put um, the links to their books uh, on the website. But essentially, they introduce this uh, topic, and uh, Hanegraaff has a particular kind of way to frame it, and he calls it everything that has been called esoteric is usually the things that are rejected knowledge. So when you have things that are occult, um, which translate to hidden, that's what the word means, um, it's juxtaposed to what is mainstream. So in the history of the Western world, you have uh, particular ideas that become mainstream and homogenized and recognized as official and or legitimate. And then there's different areas of thought or philosophy or practices that get labeled at different times as uh, illegitimate or rejected or just invalid or just fall out of fashion. These categories are very transitory, they change. So uh, what was considered medicine at the high medieval period would now be considered these highly magical esoteric practices. Um, we no longer um, smear bat's blood on a blind person hoping that it will give them sight. <laughs> But this, well, you don't, have, I do. Yeah, right, most of us don't. Um, but we have uh, written texts um, that this was a possibility. Uh, who knows how widely practiced it was, but we have it written down, a particular person cataloging different, um, uh, in, in sort of like a medical, quote-unquote, medical textbook of different types of cures for ailments. And that's one, uh, among a plethora of other types of fascinating ideas. 
Why it's important to say that scholars created the category is because uh, about 20 years or so ago, um, different scholars were approaching esoteric um, fields of knowledge, uh, but out of different departments. So um, the way the academy, I'm phrasing that loosely, which essentially means universities and how they divide up their faculties and their disciplines and who gets hired and what domain according to the research. Um, uh, these categories don't seem terribly important to the non-academic, but they're extremely important for who gets funding, um, how, <laughs> how, scholars, how their schools develop, how schools of thought develop. Because um, about 20 years or so ago, different scholars who were looking at these areas, magical, occult, um, started to say, well, we kind of need our own department because anthropology is looking at it, historians, sociologists, uh, religious scholars uh, especially, um, or scholars of religion, of history of religion, uh, but we kind of need our own area. So there's a couple of schools that sort of sprouted up um, out of different, um, well, there was one in Germany, which was the main one, I believe, and then I think another one in so in Holland, thank you. So, <laughs> <laughs> I just had a, had a brain freeze there for a moment. All right. Um, all this fancy talk to say, different scholars who are interested in very nerdy things, all these things that were rejected knowledge, all this bizarre stuff, the weird stuff, the fringe and the marginal ideas, kind of got together and said, uh, let's study this stuff not as a periphery, not as, well, here's just my fringe area, part of my department, but let's sort of refocus it and make it central. Let's centralize this discussion of what is esotericism. Um, and this kind of has worked in the, in the sense that we now have scholars that can define themselves as in the field of study of Western esotericism. Now, let me talk about what Western means. <laughs> This is kind of um, advanced nerdism. Because <laughs> anytime you're looking at these particular ideas, alchemy, magic, uh, the occult, uh, it is important to have the qualifier of Western esotericism in there because you're always dealing with what was mainstream. So the early scholars that looked at this stuff were uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. And many of them were Christian. So they're sort of looking at these ideas as uh, comparing it to Christianity. So here's all these ideas that Christianity eventually rejected. So Gnostic Christianity became no longer true Christianity. It was a heresy. But then let's still study it. So the scholars were interested in uh, studying it. But it's always juxtaposed to what was mainstream. And in that history of, uh, in our particular history in the Western world, it's Western ideas, which is essentially sort of a Christian understanding of things. And this becomes uh, especially important when they were taking ideas from other places. So von Stuckrad has a fancy term called discursive transfer. <laughs> nice little uh, brain freeze there. Now, what this pretentious phrase means, I'm not saying von, von Stuckrad is pretentious. I'm saying all academics are pretentious in their terminology, <laughs> be included. Just so to be clear. This, yeah, just to be clear. Um, discursive transfer means that 
they were influenced by uh, ideas from Islam. So different scholars, uh, even if they were Christian elite scholars, they sometimes would have texts uh, imported or sent, or sometimes they would work with a Muslim scholar to learn the esoteric ideas of Islam. Uh, they did that with Judaism a lot. Judaism has an incredibly rich history of magical practice and uh, necromancy even, demon summoning and, uh, from particular rabbis who were skilled in that kind of thing. Uh, but So the Kabbalah texts, like uh, Jewish magic, is um, uh, very, it is its own recognized field within Judaism. But what some of the early Christian scholars did was they would hire uh, a Jewish person to teach them Hebrew so they could read the Kabbalah, the Kabbalist texts in their original language. They then interpreted them for their own use. So now we have this fancy term uh, calling this appropriation, which means they sort of stolen something. Um, that's certainly true. But uh, what's interesting to me is the idea was, okay, uh, Jews had some good ideas about magic. Clearly, they didn't have as good ideas as they think. <laughs> they don't really know what to do with it. But I do. I know what to do with it because I'm a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. <laughs> so uh, then this whole notion of Christian Kabbalah, Christian magic sort of developed. Uh, but this idea of the, the notion in a lot of esoteric thought and even a lot of these rejected knowledge thought is here's the world as we know it. Here's their premise. Here's the world as we know it. And somehow, through different types of mechanisms and techniques, we can unlock the hidden meanings to the world. Now, if that's via ritual or uh, fancy math, astronomy, <laughs> Ouija boards, even spiritualism, somehow there's an extra dimension uh, that we can access. Uh, uh, luckily for them, it was usually just the elite white males that could access it. <laughs> so they spent Convenient. a lot of time. <laughs> Um, looking at, at, at these ideas. So Western esotericism isn't an idea that can be transposed to other cultures. You would have to sort of deconstruct the category and then look at that culture on its own term. I'm sure they have their own history of what ideas were rejected. But mm -hmm. when scholars talk about esotericism now, it really is a Western understanding of what it is, of what, what is esoteric, what is occult, what is arcane. In the contemporary time right now, what I'm doing is um, looking at satanic magic. And what's kind of fascinating, at least for me, is that Satanism has this tension with esoteric ideas. Sort of at one time co-opting the language, the texts, the rituals, all sorts of things. And at the same time saying a lot of that's a little, what's LaVey's word, mulligatani. And uh, <laughs> claptrap is another famous yeah. word to use. So there's this tension of sort of rejecting a lot of it, but then also take filtering out a lot of things and taking what they need, but still presenting it as esoteric, as magical, as occult, um, but not wanting to sort of fit into that category neatly. That is, it is very, very interesting that we, on one hand, as Satanists, champion the idea of terms like lesser magic and greater magic and then on the other hand scream that we are absolute atheists <laughs> and that right. there's nothing magical about life like there's this really wonderful <laughs> irony in that that yeah the majority of our terminology when it comes to satanism is very much esoteric in nature um Absolutely. though we believe <laughs> On the surface, and that's the terminology, the, the, the ideas themselves. 
Like, so it's yeah. not even, so even, so even this, enti- this uh, entire idea of unlocking the secrets to the universe. So Satanists don't um, have such lofty ide- ideals in their <laughs> magic, but there is a notion of unlocking potential or harnessing potential, I would say. It's probably a better yeah, for term. Sure. But there's still a notion that there is a heightened, heightened way of being in the world that, you know, via the tool of magic. So it's not just saying the world is boring and it can be kind of exciting when we're doing some fun things. That's certainly part of it. Uh, but magic is something about heightening that experience, harnessing the notion of uh, life experience. So it's not, not co-opting just the language. Uh, there's certain we're reinterpreting what this experience is and means. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's certainly very much, especially uh, the more and more I talk to people in the COS and the more they're open with me about how they frame magic, the, the less I view um, this line between us and them, (laughs) us as, uh, well, we, yeah, we can use the word atheist and those esotericists, as firm. It's actually a very fuzzy line, a mm-hmm. line that's constantly in transition that can change over the course of a conversation, a lifetime, a magical experience. And back again. So I don't view it as a firm line anymore. And I think it's a little bit futile to try. So instead I've yeah. sort of refocused it and said, well, how are people talking about it? Instead of really trying to, to define the line, which I don't think exists. And I think would actually harm the way I look at it, if I was looking for the firm line, because it's, eh, <laughs> there's a well, lot of gray a, area of it. Well, let me ask you, because, you know, we, you started your, um, your segment with the idea that there are these tiny, tiny sections of knowledge that scholars have then decided to categorize and like start studying as if it were a greater um, idea. Well, let me, let me ask it like this. Do you think the nature of studying these fringe ideas gives it an authority that it doesn't normally have or wouldn't normally have? Absolutely. Yes. In fact, I think it's one of, it's sort of a strategic move on certain scholars' parts, whether they recognize it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's usually motivated by the fact that once you can get yourself an association, so nerds get together and they start an association. <laughs> so there's a, there's a couple esoteric associations now, official academic ones. <laughs> and once you get an association, um, uh, then it becomes a bit more legitimate. And then you can write it on your CV. Oh, I'm a member of the European Association for the Study of Western Esotericism. You can go to their conference. There's one happening in uh, April in Estonia this year. Um, yeah, so... Absolutely, I think it does legitimize it, and it's not just legitimizing it for the academy, quote unquote, yeah. to your to the dean or to the you know the the chancellor of the university. Although that's important because then you can get funding, you can attract uh, other students, like PhD students. You know, you have your own discipline, then you can say, well, we need um, students to come here, and we need to, we need funding to pay them to come here, that kind of thing. Um, but it also means that your work has. Uh, an audience um, with among among other scholars. So it's been a challenge for my work uh, at sometimes, even though my department at home is incredibly open to this fringe type of research. Uh, for many years, I was constantly sort of hitting against this idea that nobody understood the field. Like there's nobody in my department that even remotely understood um, some of the contemporary 
gray magical groups that I'm looking at, even though they were fascinated by it. And I gave a lot of talks and uh, they said, hey, you want to do this research? Go for it. It's, it sounds great. And so there's certainly amount of trust there that my supervisor lends me, that he's uh, incredibly supportive of it. It also means that I had to kind of seek out these other fringe scholars. It's one of the reasons I'm here in Norway currently, um, and having just discussions about all this nerdy stuff. Mm-hmm. Not only does it legitimize it as an f- academic field, it also then has this effect within contemporary magical groups. Because then groups who maybe consider themselves esoteric or occult and anything from, uh, you know, Thelemon, OTO, to Satanism, um, to uh, neo-paganism, witchcraft, although they've, they've gotten uh, their scholarship has a lot that sort of dovetailed in the past uh, several years. But any, any type of group that looks into this, that is sometimes seeking legitimacy, some of the groups are actively and some aren't, but they can point to the scholarship and say, look, we're a real religion, like people are studying us. So it has a strategic point on their part also, because if they're looking for a legal protection or even just to be recognized for their own uh, religion, um, to Mm. register something, (laughs) the same way that the scholar creates an association to be legitimate, the religions themselves mirror that by sometimes officially creating a religion and registering it with the state. So there's a, a, a parallel there that, I, that is not lost on me, <laughs> that yeah. they, once there's an organization, they begin to disseminate their literature, um, scholars and religion, religionists alike. And um, I think when they're, even with uh, esoteric groups who notoriously are reluctant to be studied, not just the COS, although they've, I've certainly encountered some challenges there. Um, but different types of groups uh, have suspicion for how they're going to be depicted, um, naturally right. so. And especially as marginal groups where people misunderstand them anyway, especially if they're engaged in anything that's dark magic, um, which could be a lot of things. Uh, so they have suspicion, yet they keep tabs. And then there's also scholars that, like me, that do both. So they are scholars and they are participants in the group that they study. I'm not mm-hmm. the only one. Uh, for a long time, it felt like I was. But the more I'm looking at the, w- this Western esotericism as a discipline, the more I find out all kinds of scholars are into all kinds of weird, arcane stuff, which uh, I find incredibly exciting. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it forces me to look at academic research in a wholly new way. Um, Instead of the act of studying history, it is the act of um, defining it. So what I like to do is think that there is this truth out there, which is uh, childish of me to think that there is such a thing, that there is this flat truth of history and behavior and science and everything. But instead, what it is, is it's the spinning of those potential ideas delivered through the mind of someone who wants to give it an edge, wants to give it a perspective, wants to give their take on it, or or sees it the way that they do naturally because of their culture, their social bringing, upbringing. They're not going to see it the way that someone else is. And so there is no such thing as this solid truth. It's Everything is this interpreted truth, this interpreted understanding of things. And instead of the idea of um, 
because we're studying rubbing bat blood on your eyes to help you see, we see that now as, well, shit, Witch Zaftig just brought it up. It must have been rampant back in the 1300s. Well, the truth is, maybe it was one person who just wrote it down because they were trying to get yeah. some authority in the culture, in the little town or, or the little uh, clan that they were a part of. And it was this tiny one isolated thing. But now, because it was studied and it was mentioned, everyone thinks it was a common occurrence. And so this entire esoteric study comes out about blood, bats blood on your eyes. And there's an esoteric group founded on it. And it's spreading across the world. There's going to be new future movements brought up. The bat blood religion. And they're going to reference the academic studying of which Zaftig as the, the basis of the truth for this movement. And they're going to have a new pantheon of deities surrounding it, the bad gods. And do you see what I'm saying? Like it all spins off from this one tiny little nothingness yeah. that someone decided to study because they thought it was interesting for whatever reason, but future generations yeah. are going to apply authority to that. So, so I know you're half joking, but that has happened. So yeah, <laughs> so you're I'm not, not half joking. It's terrifying to me. You're not terribly far off the mark. It, it certainly happened. Um, the entire, um, well, neo-paganism and even Satanism is actually part of that. In, in If we're just looking broad currents where, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they can't reconstruct pre-Christian religious practices. Anybody that claims that they can do that um, really uh, cannot. We don't have enough information. They didn't write text. Uh, the archaeology doesn't tell us enough. Um, oral histories are more or less gone, and most of what we have is uh, the written text we do have is usually the, the clergy that were traveling into areas, um, encountering their heathen, quote-unquote, pagans, writing about it. So even the bat's blood incident could just be someone misinterpreting um, some pagan practice that they thought was like oh look at the, what the heathens are doing too and it could not have meant anything it's true they are kernels of truth we have and even truth like we have kernels of data we have small tiny bits of data and then um it's actually a um this notion that you say that what excites the scholar they write a study about it um we certainly have different uh people in the medieval period talking about the properties of blood um which is menses were especially powerful, obviously. <laughs> and so it's not just one person, but we have, you know, blood and semen and tears. Like we have different people talking about the usages of these things for magical purposes, for healing purposes, whatever. Um, but when the scholar writes about it, a scholar is creating a kind of historical fiction, even if it's based on data points, mm -hmm. the way they package it, the way they frame it, the way that they build a climax to their study with a denouement and everything. If you write a good book, it buys and people buy it and then you get more funding. If you write a boring historical book, it's sort of dead in the water. So yeah, we yeah. make editorial choices. We make editorial choices for drama in Damn. order to then sell our scholarship. We are not above that. So this idea that the historian makes, you know, presents upon grand truth is actually, uh, you know, uh, sort of a, yet another illusion. They are also in the marketing uh, drama, even if it's uh, only exciting to a lot of other historians. They are still building that kind of um, theater to what they're doing to make it exciting and accessible to people. 
Absolutely. So, and then if the people then take those studies and create movements around it, well, we have that now. It's a whole phenomena, phenomena like of people who re uh, reactivating. <laughs> that's a bad word, uh, but uh, trying to revive. Um, mm -hmm. old Norse practices. So in Scandinavia, there's all kinds of practices about Odinism and <laughs> yeah. a statue in, in, in Iceland. So there, the revival of <laughs> the revival of practices, like pre-Christian practices now is big. It's super popular. And mm -hmm. it is helped by scholars looking at what they're doing because of the this sort of esoteric stuff. So there's a resurgence. And it's kind of interesting, the parallel between the practice and what the scholar does. I'm not so concerned um, with whether the scholar is personally invested in their, their work, like if they actually are Odinists and also writing about Odinism, I would be hypocritical to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. However, I don't want to be witnessed to. I don't want to be preached at. If someone's trying to prove to me that Odin exists in the world, uh, to me, that's not scholarship. However, if they're asking sort of meta-narratives of why it's popular, who's doing what, in, engaged in this kind of uh, analysis, the way a scholar should look at this material, then to me that's good work, like if there's useful ideas there. Um, what they do in their own time is entirely their own personal business. The way I talk about magic in my work is actually different than the way I would talk about it personally. So if I'm sitting around and having a beer and discussing magic with other Satanists, that's a different kind of conversation than how I'm going to frame it in my work. And it should be a different kind of conversation. Yeah. That's nice. Uh, I would like to think that other scholars do the same. I'm afraid that they may not. <laughs> some do, some don't. You can usually yeah. tell. I mean, and it's been interesting to me to read somebody's work and then meet them. So that sometimes I suspected they were a little, oh, who knows, you know, either uh, a little overzealous because of their mm -hmm. personal belief or uh, had disdain. So you certainly in some of the scholars that have uh, written about Satanism, sometimes I read this like barely concealed contempt for Satanism. <laughs> and I always kind of wondered if that was just me, you know, reading it and, and, and then sometimes meeting them and being like, oh, no, no, you do hate Satanists. Okay, okay. <laughs> good I, i'm glad i'm right thanks <laughs> it's not something you i would then address in my own scholarship like yeah. like i'm not about to call out names i'm just going to do the best work i can and then hope that my work speaks for itself well well it, it certainly does here and uh, i'm sure everywhere else I, I'm, I'm so fucking amazed by what you bring to the table every time we talk really um <laughs> My my ego, every time you do that, like it flutters, like it spreads big <laughs> wide wings and just like creams. Bat wings. I, I have to tell you, um, after this particular segment, I am no longer going to be bathing in menstrual blood for my youth. Oh, okay. Aww, well, look, don't throw out the baby with the blood menstrual water. I mean, fun. Oh. There are other benefits to that kind of thing. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, can we uh, give the audience uh, different ways to contact you for uh, praise to help spread those bat wings? Sure. Uh, email me at witchzaftig, all one word, small letters, at gmail.com. You can like the Facebook page, Unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig. Uh, I also have a blog, which I will update with uh, 
I'll get better at that. Um, it's <laughs> called the unorthodoxyblog.wordpress or unorthodoxy, unorthodoxy with with Safdeg, um, uh blog. If you type that search in, it's a WordPress WordPress blog. You can message me on Facebook uh, via the the page for the the site, or just send me an email. You can also contact me uh, via our host here if that's what you want. Uh, we're cross linked everywhere. Send me your questions. So. Here's what I'd like. Uh, I still have a, <clears throat> there's always questions coming in, but I'm not just a scholar on Satanism and magic and the occult. I can do new religions, uh, even questions about religion in general. I'm less familiar with Eastern types of ideas, but I do have access to all kinds of scholarship and even colleagues that I can um, ask to help point me in the right direction if that was the case. So anything from Scientology to ancient Christianity or Judaism uh, and even Islam. So uh, have at it. Give me, shoot me a line and uh, I'll try to come up with an answer. I want to tap you on the shoulder for some of those uh, old necromancy Jewish traditions. Jewish magic is amazing. Maybe if someone sends me a question, um, <laughs> maybe I can, the next segment, I'm sure we'll get one now. Uh, Jewish magic is actually one of the really interesting things about medieval magic that most people just sort of ignore because they don't tend to look at it under magical practice. It tends to get fall under Judaism. So yeah. Jewish scholars are all up on that, <laughs> but the rest of the world, not so much. So maybe that's something we can address in future segments. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And like I said at the very top of the show, we are now going to go down to the gutter. <laughs> we just inspired your mind, and I'm going to take that all away in the Bizarre of the Bizarre coming up next. I was thinking the other day uh, about what would be a really funny intro like a cold open for this podcast. Sometimes I, I like to do cold opens where it's just, it's as if you just walked into a room during an ongoing conversation that's maybe the most inappropriate time to walk in on a conversation. Um, and that's what this came up as. I was sitting in a marketing meeting the other day and um, I <laughs> someone made this offhanded comment and so I sort of whispered to one of the dudes that I feel comfortable talking inappropriately with. And I was like, hey, you know, that'd be what, you know, like... Oh, it, here's here's what it was. Okay, so someone uh, was talking about how they were really annoyed by people recording video that was vertical on their phones rather than horizontal. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Best advice from me to my son when he starts becoming sexually active is every, anytime, and this is something that every father should tell their son, anytime you record yourself having sex, make sure it's on the horizontal, okay? You want to make sure you get <laughs> as wide an angle as possible. Don't yeah. do that narrow stuff. Why? Yeah. I just thought it was funny because my son is not yet anywhere near that, and so it was an absurd <laughs> thought to bring to him. He'd be like, what? Why would I? What? No. What? I don't. Ew. Uh. So I thought, what would be a really funny father advice for well, someone? Wait, that wait, just before you tell me, I just when he gets old enough, is that something that you would... I'm just... I didn't grow I, up with dad, so I don't really know, you know, I'm just saying. I think, it, well, who's, who else is going to tell him? Like, he right. has to know. He's going to be recording it anyway. Let's face it. That's what everyone does. So you have to the orient market. the camera properly. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is technical. Okay, good. All right, go on. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> um, 
and I'm that old dirty uncle anyway with any of my nephews and nieces. Like I, you know, just call it out in 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 the middle of a, a dinner or something. I'll be like, hey you two are dating now make sure you wrap that rascal okay wear a raincoat we don't want any other little babies running around and you know they're all embarrassed i mean this is coming from a household where my mom literally whispers tampon when she has to reference tampon because she's embarrassed about saying the word tampon like it's a feminine hygiene i can't tampon. <laughs> just like give me a break anyway inappropriate fatherly advice that i think would be helpful and is probably going to be helpful to those of you who may not have already discovered this on your own <clears throat> Don't come in the bathtub. So let me let me explore this a little bit. I understand people want to have sex in the shower. That's fine. But there's a magical reaction, a chemical reaction. Once your semen hits water, it turns from this <laughs> sort of uh, <laughs> liquidy substance into like a congealed substance that clings to every tiny piece of body hair. So instead of just like rubbing it out, letting it hit the water and being good with it, you now stand up, start drying off, and you look like a fucking cum chia pet. Like, you have tiny little pieces all over you, and you have to, like, pick them out, and when you pick a piece of sperm out of your leg hair, it is, like... <laughs> it's like taking tape and ripping it off of your arm. It is not easy, because you have to squeeze and pull it, and it's like... I mean, I have no personal experience of this. I'm just saying that... I was just about to say, um, maybe that's just yours. <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe this is like radioactive something happening that you should have a doctor check. I mean, I'm just, maybe every other man who's listening to this right now is just like, that doesn't happen to me. Holy shit, Adam, you need to antibiotics or something. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I've never ejaculated uh, male semen, so I don't know. <laughs> It's like in the bath, like myself, from my own body. It's a nightmare. I'm just saying. It's a nightmare. As soon as it hits water, man, I don't know what it is, but it, it breaks down the the liquidity of it, and it becomes like glue. Like fucking gooey glue. <laughs> um, so, son. So good advice. We need to talk. Don't, um, I know you're going to want to masturbate in the bathroom, and that's okay. It's okay to masturbate. There's no, no shame in it. Right. Okay. But in the shower, is it okay? Because it does it does it ha like does it have time to? <laughs> well, because it, you're not sitting you're in it. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, it still does it. It as soon as it hits water. So if if you do not like here, I'm gonna because we have the benefit of, of video. I'm gonna give you an example please. of posing. Oh, please, yes, absolutely. Please. <laughs> Everyone else, I'm gonna try to describe what I'm doing. So I'm standing up, and you have the bathroom wall right here. You have to lean back. A little bit like this. I, and so you, you brace yourself with one hand. <laughs> using your other hand. Just make sure. It's sort of like peeing in the shower. You don't want to pee on your feet. So you have to sort of widen your stance a little bit. Angle back. And then go straight for the drain. I'm hoping that's what people do when they masturbate. I want to thank you for that visual. Just... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, that's what Bizarre the Bizarre is all about. <laughs> right. <clears throat> let's let's I'm gonna go. thank you for that image. It's never gonna leave me. Never. <laughs> you're, you're quite welcome. I'm happy to bring it. Um let's close out this episode now. Now. Oh wait, hold on. Oh, I have a little bit of advice to daughters. <laughs> it oh. doesn't fucking matter. You can come anywhere oh. you want. <laughs> <In the bath. laughs> <Shower. laughs> 
you know, tub, pool, if you want, public or otherwise. It's uh, no one's going to know except for your face, but there's no no chemical reaction where that you're going to be like, so um, I say, I say women, team woman wins this one. (laughs) It's not fair. If I had a plate or something to throw, I would be throwing it right now. (laughs) That's not fair. Uh, All right. Well, let's, let's do a little next peep show and close this thing out. Welcome to another Old Nick Peep Show, the only segment that delivers beautiful women, masculine men, and all things interesting and satanic uh, about Old Nick. Uh, joining us, as always, is the very first Old Nick chick, the beautiful witch, Marilyn Mansfield, and her handsome man, managing editor, Warlock Zoth and Mog. How are both of you today? Hello, we are well, thank you. We're doing well, thank you, Adam. Sweet. So, uh, we're coming hot off the heels of a big birthday bash, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My birthday bash. <laughs> well, happy belated <laughs> birthday <laughs> from you. all of us. Thank you. Um, so the oh, the new issue is out of Old Nick magazine. This is uh, volume four, number four, and it's the Fifty Shade of Hades BDSM issue. Um, we had a really wonderful discussion about this uh, last month, the idea of BDSM, and uh, you can go out now and check out the magazine and we'll cover all the different ways and places that you can find it here in just a few minutes um can you hit us with a couple of the big names in this issue really quick before we dive in um yeah the cover girl in centerfold is ophelia rain she's a cos member and she's um she's involved in the adult industry we also have a a very good article written by our magus peter h gilmore about the state of Satanism today. Yay! Uh, (laughs) Yes, we also have The Haunted House of Monsters by Rob Lazaraga. It's in the Night Gallery. And Uh, also our very own Bob Johnson gives a sneak peek of his new book coming out, The Satanic Warlock. Yeah. Excited for that. Hell yeah. That's going to be badass. Well, hopefully, when it's... yeah, I want to see pictures of sexy warlocks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is that I the kind of book it is? Warlock over here, but you know, it doesn't hurt to uh, look. Well, I, I think it's more of a of a philosophy book, kind of like the I know. I'm just witch. kidding, you know. But hey, you know, it could be you know something to accompany the satanic warlock. Maybe the satanic warlock calendar. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> naked, naked. That could be interesting. Your voice is echoing all thoughts out there of the listeners. What did I say, Joazils? So, you know, nice brajol now and then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. I don't know about it. Well, all right, yeah, for got, you, for you, you don't care. For but. me, you know, I think it's more like a sachichong, you know? <laughs> oh you got a chorizo. No, chorizo's small. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too 
strong is more, you know. Oh, all right, all right. A super side, it's like, right? Nah, he's an Italian. Maybe this is what we need is is all the euphemisms in size relation in the satanic warlock. You know, it's the difference between a chiquita banana and a platano, you know? Oh my god. Oh my god. Green or yellow? Maduro. It's green. You mean there's something wrong. You need to stay away from that. Oh my god. That was that. Yeah. The satanic warlock by Bob Johnson. I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully, we can uh, maybe get him on to, to chat a little bit about it once it's been released. Oh yeah, yeah. Give That'd everyone. A... Well, it's scheduled for our Walpurgis now 2016. Yes, yeah, so so we got a little we, bit. We got a little waiting time, but you know there'll be yeah. plenty of teasers along the way. Hell yeah, yeah. That's always uh, that's that's a subject that a lot of people have been talking about for a long time. So it's nice to see that it's going to be um, approached by someone. Um, with the the knowledge, like uh, Magister Johnson, um, I'm really really looking forward to that. That's um, Doctor Johnson. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Bob Johnson. Yeah, if there's That's anyone very cool. to uh, you know to write the book, it's, it's definitely yep. Yeah. I can't believe yeah, I get such yeah. zeal on the internet. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Well, let's uh, uh, let's move away I from cocktail. You having a cocktail? Yeah, <laughs> that's why you're talking. Here's my ice. So I I do hear the ice. What are you drinking? I am drinking uh, kettle one with tonic and lime, and he's drinking uh, whiskey on the rocks. Nice. And he has this e-cigarette now that I got him for our anniversary. He hasn't mm. put the thing down. All right. Damn. He hasn't put the thing down. He fell asleep with the thing in his hand. I like. Well, that. at least he's not going to burn the house down. I always got to go outside to smoke, you know, so this actually yeah. gives me the ability to smoke inside, and now I, I'm smoking all the time. We, old Dick should do a, um article about the cigarette thing now. You know how everyone is... Yeah, different oils and, yeah. Yeah, with, you know... Technology behind it. The, um, you know... Wine, women, and Yeah. Wine. Yes. Well, we've had, you know, articles about smoking and uh, cigars, and we've had yeah. advertisers for it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, because it's cigars. I, I don't know if there's been extensive, detailed studies about the long effects of vaping, um, since it's still relatively new. Yeah. Um, all right, I'll look into it. I mean, it's a good idea. Because everyone's using them now. Thanks for putting me on the spot. <laughs> it is in- insane the amount of people that it has uh, at least for fun tried it i mean it's it's just the notion i mean it the notion of of having a smokeless vapor so it's it's odorless is what i feel yeah. it is it does it does give off an odor no you're... don't put the the stuff in the air doesn't it like right, nicotine it, all that well, yeah that's that's the whole point is like if you smoke a cigarette indoors it automatically like your curtains all of your your tapestries anything that you have around its fabric it kind of sucks up that smell and the, yeah the vapor, it doesn't actually do that, you know? It kind of dissipates into the air, and that's it. And it's done. So, but it kills you yeah. quicker because you don't put the damn thing down, so... I, I love... I, <laughs> I I'm totally imagining it. your house now that you mentioned tapestries. Like, my house is silly with tapestries, personally. I don't know anyone else. <laughs> walls of tapestries. It reminds me of uh, the uh, Indiana Jones. They've <laughs> come to inspect the tapestries. Yeah. Do you smoke... I used to. Um, very rarely, I do cigars. Yeah, uh, but I don't no, not 
not and I don't even I don't even I'm I don't get into the 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 vaporizing just because there isn't any really in-depth research about it and uh I'm <laughs> crazy uh borderline hypochondriac as is but everyone I know that that used to smoke now vapes so yep well, because Not they hadn't yet. changed the laws, you know, if they hadn't changed the laws and left everything as it was, then it would have been okay. You know, but now mm-hmm. you can't smoke anywhere and it just becomes problematic for people who enjoy smoking because I feel like yeah. I enjoy smoking. I don't, I don't need to smoke. I'm not addicted to smoking, but I enjoy, you know, puffing. I don't like yeah. smoke. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I tried those cigars once. Oof. That Bob's, remember? I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Well, you did it wrong, so... I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> did you inhale? I think so, yeah. They were yeah. all yelling at me. Yeah, she inhaled. <laughs> and then she was like, take this away from me. <laughs> I couldn't hang out with the big boys, they told me. But, you know. That's rough. I I have to be honest. I love me a cigar. I, I mean, I absolutely love it. I don't do it a lot because if you're buying good cigars, it can be a little costly, but... Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, I do. I do love to sit down with the bottle of whiskey and a cigar. That's nice. Yeah, me too. You guys were smoking um, those Warlock cigars, right? Well, yeah. That, that one I liked. <laughs> Adam yes. will probably like it too. I don't know where he got the one. I'll leave it to Bob to figure out yep. where to get the Warlocks. I'm going to have to look into that. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it was, yeah, I looked for them, but I couldn't find them. I have to ask him where he got them. Probably. Get them specially rolled in his dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> Bob goes all out. He's awesome. Well, I did want to um, ask uh, you, Zoth, about uh, just the process of editing um, some of the, the content of Old Nick. And since we're giving our reviews of vaping and smoking, I just figures I could pull it back a little bit more specifically to Old Nick right here um, as smooth <laughs> as possible of a transition. We went from Warlock Cock to cigars. Now we're going to talk about uh, reviewing. Um, fuck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, today's a very Sunday. So let me let me ask you about editing, um, and more specifically reviewing for content in Old Nick Magazine. I mean, of course, if anyone wants to submit um, anything to you guys for consideration, they're open to do so. Um, can you throw out the email address really quick for that? Yes, the email is info at oldnickmagazine.com. And you um, can so if you do want all wanna... submissions from yeah. fiction to, you know, uh, sending us links for music reviews, models can send their photographies and bios. Um, and that's just the best way to contact us. If you have any questions about the magazine, where to get the magazine, anything about the magazine, info at oldnickmagazine.com. Um, yeah, I always find it interesting um reading reviews of projects, uh, be it a, a new album or a new book or a movie or something. And I see that you do a number of those um, throughout these issues. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to ask you about that. Um, have you ever run across a situation where you think that the subject is worthy, but you just don't personally dig it that much? Um, <laughs> yeah, there, there have been a few um, submissions. I won't mention any names. Right, but that I felt um, it was mine, right? You're you know, about. <laughs> just weren't up to par with what I wanted to include yeah. in the magazine. Because to me personally, I feel that my reviews are like recommendations. So if mm. I'm taking the time to recommend something to you as the reader, I want you to feel that it's good enough for you to look into it. 
And, you know, if, if I feel something just isn't, you know, of the caliber that I want to have featured in the magazine, that I just, I won't write anything about it at all. It's kind of yeah. like what they say, you know, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's the yeah. reviews. I'm not going to trash somebody in the magazine. I'm not going to do that. I'd yeah, rather... there's no need for that anyway, you know? Yeah. I mean, some people, you know, they like to do that. I'm, I'm not that uh, kind of person. I want the old Nick experience to be the good nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. No, I, but, you know, I, I can totally appreciate that. If I'm taking the time to review it, it's as if I'm recommending it to you. I'm saying like, hey, if you haven't heard about this yet, check it out. It's this good. You know? And also, yeah. what the readers would be interested in as well—the people who buy old things. Right. Exactly. So I mean, you know, it has to be. Have to fit a certain criteria for the, just like the models too. You know, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, not just anyone can model for the magazine. It has to be, you know, you have to fit into the old Nick standards. So. Exactly. We have high standards. Yeah. So. Yeah. We've gotten, you know, submissions, and you know, while they may be nude, maybe they're not. Uh, they're just not right for. It doesn't mean they're bad. They're just not right for the magazine. Yeah, you know, Bob is very uh, particular with that stuff. So yeah, we can be very picky. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I mean, you have a to keep up our standards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have a discerning taste, and it has to fit in with the old Nick feel uh, within the magazine. Um, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, because I've run into the the case where I've you know some people are like. Uh, recommending me to have certain people on or talk about certain projects or and I'm just like I just can't do it like I yeah I would if I could but nothing good is going to come of it so we just gotta we just gotta put the kibosh on it pretty quick yeah. and so I was always wondering how how you guys handled that um I think that's a really nice way of doing it um doing the the Bambi approach, the thumper approach. Well, I kind of, I kind of, you know, if someone approaches me about modeling for the magazine, you know, I always say it's not up to me. I'm just letting you know, you know, you can mm -hmm. uh, submit photos, feel free. Anyone's free to submit, but it doesn't mean, you know, that you're going to be in the magazine, you know? Mm -hmm. We've had, a, we've had girls like post on social media that they're going to be in the magazine and they were never selected to be in the magazine. Oh! And we're like, what? Yeah, just because you submit yeah. photos doesn't mean that you automatically get in, even if you know us. So yeah, damn. Well, so yep. my tranny photos aren't gonna make it in next month. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh yeah, photos. I look then? good too, dude. No, no. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go for that satanic warlock calendar. This Hell yeah! I'm shooting for. <laughs> I think I should be the uh, you know the casting uh, thing. <laughs> the quality control. Yeah, yeah. I want to be the uh, managing editor. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, you men don't. You don't want to look at nude men, so I'll I'll, I'll you know I'll put time in to do that. <laughs> Someone has to do it. It might as well be Marilyn. <laughs> um, can we give the audience all the different places online they can uh, look for Old Nick? Sure. Um, OldNickMagazine.com, of course. You can follow me on Twitter, at OldNickChick. Mm -hmm. And Old Nick Magazine has a Twitter, has a Facebook, has a Pinterest, has a Google+, has a Ello, has MagCloud, and Skin Mags. We're everywhere. We're on Everything. camps for you. Just go to oldnickmagazine.com for links to all of our social media 
uh, pages. Well, thank you both very much. Well, until we can chat again, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Uh, Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Okay, and that's going to do it, everyone, for yet another show. We hope you enjoyed it, and we would love to hear from you. But the website, 9centspodcast.com, and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let us know if any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have, questions for which Zaftig. Let's send them in, people. Send one about Jewish magic, damn it! And you can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents to get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Mondays via the RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last of Fans, Stitcher, and YouTube. Look for us there. Remember, the Stitcher link has been updated. Go to the website to find out the correct link. And if you are subscribing to 9 cents, leave us a rating or comment. And if you aren't subscribing, leave a rating or comment anyway, damn it. And remember, if you want to learn more about Satanism or Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And the only way that we're going to continue doing this amazing podcast with talking about sperm and bathtubs is if you continue to share, like, and interact with Nine Cents and its contributors. Once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by... Witch Zaptic. Wonderful, wonderful Witch Zaptic. And until next week, hail Satan! Hail Satan.